today uh, we're going to consider the, the word dirty laundry. Uh, I bet you didn't wake up this morning thinking I'm going to go to church and I'm going to hear this talk on dirty laundry. Well, to help you frame in the conversation, right, we all know what this is. And it's what, what this represents that lays around the house or in your closet or wherever you have it. And it, you know, some, sometimes it's kind of scary to approach it because of the odor, the scent. Uh, I remember when my kids were into Little League sports, and so, whoo, it was like, don't come in the car. We had to put seat covers to protect the, 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 the seats there in the car. So you can imagine what all that represents. And this morning, in reality, what Paul is trying to set for us, and if, if, you're, if you're tracking with the sermon series, we're right now in chapter 3, and we're considering verses 5 through 8. Now, very first impressions on my mind and my heart as I opened up the biblical text and I started processing this, all of the verses are negative. And so, so I said, God, how am I going to land the plane on this one? Because there's none of those verses have a positive tone. In fact, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was playing around with, with rearrangement of the text. I said, well, even if I ended up with um, verse 5, it says, put to death. Or verse 8, put, make sure you put away. And then uh, definitely I thought, well, how about if I land it with verse 6? For this reason, the wrath of God is coming. Do I want to end with the wrath of God? Well, I don't know. But anyways, that, that you can understand what my tension was and, and what my wrestling was. Well, I hope that I am going to be faithful to the text, faithful to the proclamation of what the Lord has spoken to me, and then taking that information that I may share it with you, and hopefully my earnest prayer is that you would take the information and process it in the context of your life. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many, how many uh, scholars we listen to, how many books we read, or how many uh, 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 you know, uh, seminary classes we take, none of that will matter if the information does not become transformation in our lives. There has to be a change of, of, of course. There has to be a paradigm shift. And so, with that in mind, let me set a few more things before we jump into the text. We've been on this, on this journey through the book of Colossians. And um, chapter 1 is just a quick reminder. Um, started with this lengthy prayer from verse 3 um, where he thanks God and, and just begins to really praise the Lord. But what was the central, the central theme or the central motif of that whole 23 verses? Well, it was thanksgiving. He was thanking God for the transformation or the transformational work or the end result of the good news of Jesus Christ in the life of the believers. And so he goes on, but, but there's a couple of verses I, I do want to highlight there because they make sense as we're considering the difficult text uh, and the focus of chapter 3 on ethics. Now, I know a lot of people hear this and, and, and they're turned off. As soon as they hear, about, they hear about conduct and morality, there's like a switch that goes off. Oh, there they go again. They're going to start teaching about don't do's. Don't, 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 don't. And that's kind of what people hear. But for the believer who has experienced regeneration, it's kind of like what I tell my kids. 
You know, when I say no, it doesn't mean that I don't like you or I don't love you. It's really our intention as parents, as parents is we want the best for our children. We want them to for little and, and, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. Daddy, can I please have this lollipop? No. <laughs> you all know what happens if you give the child candy at 11 o'clock at night. And so sometimes a no isn't a no to be indifferent or mean. A no is actually for our own benefit. And so, again, as believers, now in Christ, the importance of going back and thanking the Lord for, for His good, redemptive work in our lives, for the blood of Jesus as we took time to celebrate and remember the blood and the body of Jesus Christ and what He endured on that cross of Calvary, like we're going to do on Good Friday. Pause and take time to thank Jesus for His redemptive work on the cross. My friends, this is foundational to any conversation on ethics. And just as we got into, into chapter 1 and seeing this, we were reminded in verse 13 of chapter 1, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Who delivered? Who's the He? We understood it was God the Father. And He delivered us. But notice what the text says. He delivered us um, us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin that's foundational we are not moralists moralists uh, 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 ground their whole paradigm on morality or ethics on doing good works they almost sound very similar and, and, and you, you, hear, you, you will hear a little bit about that this morning more. But for the believer, for those of us who have now been transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son, what happens after now our new position, our new identity, this new, if you will, this new creation, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and on, talks about a new humanity human race what happens to us at salvation what what, what 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 do we mean by being born again that's very important to our understanding of how we live our life from the day that we are now well, from, from from the day before jesus became the lord and savior of our lives something something transformational happened and and then again as we Keep on reading in, in, in Colossians. Um, we go into chapter 2 and, and, and verses 11 and on. It, 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 verses 6 and on uh, through verse 15. Again, he, he reminds us of our union and, and how we were dead. And, and we were like zombies, like dead men walking. We were, we were people of condemnation and wrath and sin and darkness. And then in our participation through baptism, this is why it's important as a believer, if we accept Jesus Christ and we're born again, part of the first things we do is publicly declare what has occurred in our lives. So for the believer who has been regenerated, one of the first things he does is publicly 
stand and, and, and declare publicly to everyone, hey, I am now a follower of Jesus Christ. That's very important. Why? Because Jesus said, if he who is ashamed of me in public, I too will deny before the Father. There's an important part of our response. And I think that's where um, ethics comes in because it, it requires a response. A, a, a response to what? A response to saving grace in our lives. A response to the love and the gratefulness that we have experienced now by the forgiveness of our sins. A, a gratitude, a, a joy that, that, that comes from within because we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. And now we are joined with the Lord himself in his death, but not just in his death, in his resurrection. So now let's end up here in, in chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And let's listen to the word of the Lord. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Notice the list here. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause after, after we're done reading the verses. But it goes, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Friends, as Timothy Keller would say, this is the word of the Lord. This is the word of God for us today. Now, I have to continue by saying, if this morning we as believers are struggling with temptation and yes, even sin in our life, this sermon is for you. Even this morning, if we, after following Jesus, are experiencing these desires, the tension of desires that are waging inside of us, to do those things that we should not do, this sermon, I hope, is for you. And I hope at the end of our time together, I would provide you with some tools and practical steps to keep moving forward. This is a war. This is, in reality, what some would even call spiritual warfare. Now, few things here that I that really jumped out at me and I think it's with the premise of what is the text saying and what it's not saying it's very clear what it's saying but it's also very clear what it's not saying so let's go ahead and start this this journey here so the first thing here um I I I, I hope I rearranged the 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 the, the verses in a way that makes some kind of systematic and chronological sense to us. Because I, I didn't want to start off with this, um, you know, uh, uh, hey, here's the, here's the hammer. But I, I want to lead into it. So that when we do get to the toughest part of this text, it makes perfect sense for us. But then also, in what seems to be the um, most darkest part of this text, or the most difficult part of this text, when we talk about judgment and wrath, 
for the believer, it infuses hope and it, and, and, and it removes fear. As I believe uh, 1 John 4, 18 would say, uh, the perfect love of God casts out all fear, right? And he who has not been perfected in the love of God or he who fears has not been perfected in that love of God, why? Because fear has to do with what? Judgment and condemnation. Then what do we do with scriptures like Romans 8, 1? Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or, or 1 John 2, 1. My little children, if any of you should sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus the just. So what does all this mean? Then, Pastor, why am I still struggling? Why do I still sense this war? Why is there so much tension in my life? And I think it starts there in verse 7. This, this, this verb that, that speaks to past tense. Notice what it says. At one time, we, we, we had dirty laundry, just like this dirty laundry here. Now, obviously, this isn't dirty laundry because, you know, uh, uh, you know it, it came from, from some, of, some of our friends here. And, and you know, no, I'm not suggesting that, that, that they smell or anything. But no, but this is just a, a, an illustration here. When we address our lives too reeked with sin, our lives too were, were, had a, a sense, an aroma of, of what we were pre-Christ. And we can add this list, and I, I would suggest that even the list that we're given here, when we consider those lists, they're not exhaustive. They might, they might in, um, include a lot, but they're not exhaustive. In fact, you, you could even go to uh, Galatians chapter 5 and, and read about the fruits of the flesh and, 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 and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and, and those aren't even exhaustive, but they give you a very better description, a more complete description of what it is to walk in the flesh or give yourself to the desires of the flesh. And so the text tells us, in these, you too once walked. My friends, the difference between someone who, who is now redeemed and born again and someone who is not is the work of justification and regeneration and sanctification by the work of Jesus Christ. And I'm not ignoring the fact that the Holy Spirit is involved, the triune God is involved in the salvation of man. The Father calls, the Son has completed the work for us, and the Spirit applies it in the life of that person who responds. And so we have this here, this grace of sanctification purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and removes the defilement of our nature, of that which smells and is dirty and needs to be washed. Right? Because... None of us would walk out of here suggesting that you shouldn't wash dirty laundry. I hope not. We all have to address it one way or another. Now, I know that some of our young people, because I was young and I had uh, young people, and I, I would often tell them, clean up after yourself. Pick up your clothes. Sometimes I, it was hard to distinguish between clean clothes on the floor and dirty clothes on the floor. That messiness. But here... Let it be clear to us, there is no mess. There is the reckoning of that mess, 
the remedy for that mess and the act of uh, cleaning up that mess. And who does the cleaning? Here we're referring to Jesus Christ, the only one who could clean and purify and take the dirtiness off of our lives away. Complete. I can't remember all those phrases I would hear from all these soaps, but you all know what I'm talking about. And so, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul quickly reminded the Corinth church, and such were some of you, talking about their past, talking about what they were before they encountered the living Christ. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What a great encouragement to, to, to gospel truth. Or what even Titus, what Paul wrote to, the, to Titus in and, and Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. For we ourselves were once foolish. We once were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Boy, I'll tell you, that was the story of my life. Growing up in the inner city, I became a xenophobe towards black people. Even as one minority to another. Um, and, and then he continues on. But when the goodness of the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done uh, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Secondly, we need to consider uh, 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 that once we were, past tense, we were. We identified with the sin. But something happened, right? Um, and here, the, the second part of these verses uh, address these two imperatives, right? The first is put to death and put away your dirty laundry. And those we find in verses 5 and 8. Now, now let's, let's consider these, uh, these two imperatives. First, put to death. What does put to death mean? Well, if you read the King James Version, it just means mortify. This is put to death, right? And this is the beauty of, of, of reading different versions and translations because it helps you understand to really capture what, what the original is, is referring to, the mortification of sin. Well, for that, there's great tools out there. I mean, one thing I've been reading is uh, uh, John Owen's book on the mortification of sin, uh, coupled with um, Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, which he cites a lot from John Owen's in there. But to, to understand and just really wrestle with this whole concept when he says, put to death, what do we mean by mortification? Well, uh, thank God for the dictionary and thank God for additional tools that help us understand and unpack what this means. For example, mortification, um, it simply means this. It, it means to put to death. It, 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 it implies to, to destroy the strength or vitality, or functioning of, or to subdue, or deaden that which is sinful, that which is causing sin, or have power um, over my life. 
For example, if before I came to Christ and I struggled with alcohol, is that something I should be practicing? Or does that leave an open door in my life? And so on. We can add so many, so many things there. In consideration of destroying, of, of taking away that power, of taking away or closing that door to the things that draw me away or easily entangle me in past pleasures and, and habits of life, in closing that door in my life, I must remember this one very important um, truth. Okay? Mortification, mortification must be done by the strength and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is it important to acknowledge that it should be done under uh, the direction and under the guidance and under the power of the Holy Spirit? Why? Very important. And and I didn't quite grasp this, you know, even uh, as I studied and and read and, and keep digging. Why? Because, as Bridges would suggest, without the Holy Spirit's strength, there will be no mortification. But without our working in his strength, there will be also no mortification. And Bridges goes on to illustrate the work of a farmer. He says the farmer is dependent on nature and diligence. It's a both and. So, how do we reconcile all this? Well, we reconcile it this way, my friends. It's God and man. But it's never man accomplishing the work without God because we are dependent on his strength. We are dependent on his truth, his word. We are dependent also on his people that he uses and places around us to help us like iron sharpens iron. So these are the things that, 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 that Paul was uh, unpacking there. And a few more other things here that, that we need to consider. So when we think of mortification, of this, of this putting away, of this killing, of this, of this, of this putting to death, uh, these earthly, notice the things he's talking about. And it almost suggests in the very first part of verse 5, right? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? What is earthly? Is he talking about our physical bodies or is he talking about these desires? I think it alludes back to the beginning of this text. Seek the things above and set your mind above. It, it, it connects it for So when it says, when, it, when it's telling us here, therefore, what is earthly in you? And then notice this. It, it, it's very clear. Why? Because again, um, this here is teaching us something. It almost as if the power of Christ's death and resurrection changes your sex life. You need to hear that. Ooh, pastor, we don't talk about that word here. That's taboo. The power of Christ's death and resurrection changes your sex life. Ooh, that, that, that. Okay, pastor, let's roll up our sleeves here and let's talk about this because this is tense now. Now we're, we're going to dive deep into this text. Yeah, well, notice the description he gives us there, right? Look at all the things he's talking about. Um, he's talking about, about sexual immorality, right? That's unlawful sexual intercourse. We get the word pornea, where, 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 where we also get the word pornography, although it's not exclusive just to pornography, 
But, but notice, notice everything he's unpacking here. And notice the focus of all of this. So sexual immorality, impurity, right? Uh, um, uh, what, what would we associate that? It, it would be like um, um, in, indecency, right? Uh, you could add that, that, that uh, viciousness. Um, you can add um, filthiness to that word. How about passion? What, what, what is he talking about passion? How about uncontrolled desire? How about hurtful desire? How about, how about um, uh, uh, a passion for sexual uh, uh, things, right? Uh, when he talks about evil desire. So he, he distinguishes this thing from passion. And notice how he adds this descriptive word. Evil desire, right? This, this, this shameful acts. Um, the long craving for. Uh, those are descriptives of, of these words he's talking about. And then notice how he climaxed this and brings closure to this text, right? And, and, and covetness, right? Oh, what does covenant have to do with this, with this sexual sin here? It has a lot to do it, with it. Why? Because what is covenant? It, it, it's really wanting something that's not yours and, or, or legal. Or it's really wanting more than what you have. But, but notice how he... He adds to covetousness and covetousness, which is idolatry. Why? Why is that? Think about this, friend. We live, since the 1960s, the sexual revolution, we now live in, in a society that if we don't address these issues and we don't provide for the future generations a biblical mindset or biblical understanding for what sex is and the purpose of it, we're going to lose that generation also. And we need to be able to address these things as a church to educate the younger generation. And, and not just for married people's sake, but even for those who are single. So this is really coming down to an education on moral purity. This is so different from what we're getting and all the garbage that we're getting in the world. Now, can you imagine the other generations and what they have to contend with? And tragically, they're not hearing this type of teaching at church. So, covetousness, which is idolatry. And what is really idolatry coming down to? Replacing God from the throne of my heart and placing some other God it might be money, education, sex. It might, be, it might be various things, but that becomes the God that I worship. That becomes what I give value to. Believer, if you are struggling with, things, with these things, there is hope. I hope you would hear that in my voice. There's hope. There's opportunity for us to equip you and invest time in you and mentor you so that you're, you're, you're better and able uh, uh, and more prepared for this. And then jump down very quickly to verse 8. But now, you must put them all. In my, in my friend, take off your dirty laundry. Not that you could gain your own salvation, but by the power of Christ's work and, and resurrection, take it off. There, there, there's something that we're being asked to do here, to participate with the triune God to fulfill his redemptive purpose. Now, it's, it, it doesn't come back to me. We're not, Christianity is not a religion of you have to do so that you can know because salvation's work is by grace alone. 
So what he's saying here is not that you do it to work, but that the triune God has invited us to experience the full power of not only Christ's death, but his resurrection in our lives. This is why it's not grandma's religion. This is why there needs to be in a, a union, a, an association with Jesus. We teach this here. It's right on our wall. This is the importance of the supremacy of Christ and his preeminence in our mind, in our theology, and in our ethics. And so, I better jump here because I, I, I know I ran out of time already. Third, third. Here's probably the hardest part of this text. God will reckon with humanity's dirty laundry. You know, I know sometimes, friends, we want to beat down and, and go on a holy crusade and take our sword of holiness and moral purity and beat up the world and go kill everybody. That's not what the church is called to do. We should not have that type of cavalier mentality that, hey, we're going to go in and slew the pagan out there because he's, he, he is, he's on the track to... He is dead. The person without Jesus Christ is dead. The person who has an, the new life of the, of the death of Christ, and they're, they're dead. They're condemned. And this is what the text is saying. As hard as it is for us, sometimes our, our shift is, okay, we want to be on the bandwagon of conservatism. That's not what the church is called to do. I know that's hard, friends. Because I have my own political philosophy and views. But I can't preach my politics. This is my politics here. This is my politics here. This is what the church is called to do. So when Paul is telling and informing them, God will reckon with you. God is the judge, not Clovis E.V. Free. God is the judge. God will bring judgment on humanity's rebellion and their disobedience. That's what I say. So if you have the, the King James Version, right, you're going to have this bracket there, or depending whatever version you're reading. But, but my, the, the ESV uh, just adds, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. But then if your version says, because of the sons of, the, of disobedience, you'll notice it's in parentheses there, because some of the early manuscripts don't include it. However, there's other biblical texts that really affirm what it's saying. Like, for example, Ephesians 5, 6. That really reinforce that on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. What things? Sin. Disobedience. That, that word disobedience is interesting because disobedience really comes down to one thing. Unbelief. So it's not really even on the sins itself, but the rejection of God's gift of redemption in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That, my friends, as many probably believe, would be the unpardonable sin. Depend on where you land on your theology with that. To not heed to the call of the Spirit and His invitation to enter into relationship with Christ the Lord so that we be reconciled to God because of the original sin that happened in Genesis chapter 3. 
And all throughout the biblical narrative, you will read of sexual abuse and sexual brokenness. Of not just sexual, but you'll see all kinds of abuse. And so, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Jesus said it well, John 3, 36. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, the Son shall not uh, the sun shall see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Those are powerful words. Jesus himself. Um, so again, we know that the sons of disbelief are those who in reality are characterized by uh, disbelief. And that, that judgment that there, um, it's not just the, the judgment that was described in Romans um, chapter 1, verses 18. But this also points to an eschatological judgment. You're talking about when God judges the nations. And, and that judgment includes that eternal separation from God. Or the final destination. Well, we don't like to use the H word, but that, that, that's the final destination, right? Well, uh, if, you, if you analyze Revelation, hell isn't the final destination. What's the final destination? Gehenna. The lake of fire, where hell and the devil and the, the, the false prophet and everyone was thrown into at that end. Right? So, again, finally, finally, the redemptive work of Christ, right? The redemptive work of Christ, and I think I have a typo here, so please, I was on different time zones when I sent this in, so my apologies. Right? In the, in the redemptive work of Christ, our dirty laundry is washed and free from wrath and condemnation. That's the only way. Way to salvation. I, I was on the plane ride from, from Dallas-Fort Worth to Chicago, and I was minding, I promise I was minding my business. But the lady that was sitting next to me just really was being too nosy. And she, was, she wanted to get into, hey, what are you reading over there? And so we ended up having this conversation. Phenomenal lady. Phenomenal lady. She had a lot of questions. So, oh, there goes my reading time and prep for my sermon. <laughs> okay, let's roll up the sleeves. What does the scripture says? Be ready in... And not a season. Okay, so let's go. She says, okay, um, so what do you do? I was like, oh, yeah, I, 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 my favorite thing. I'm into communications. Oh, yeah, what kind of communication? All right, well, you're asking, lady. I'm trying to be as political as po possible. Okay, well, I'm in community. I, I'm, I'm a public speaker. And so, oh, okay, what kind of public speaker? Okay, you know what? I'm a pastor. Oh, everything changes, right? She knows who she's going to turn to if that plane starts crashing or going down, right? We know that. We know that. But she, she led on to the conversation, and then I, 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 fall, I humbly followed, right? I said, so, so you're a pastor, so tell me this one thing here. I said, okay, yeah, I'll try. She said, be as brief as possible. Well, it all depends on your question, <laughs> uh, but, but I'll, I'll make it as brief as possible. And she said, um, so tell me about this Jesus. Um, do you really think he had uh, sexual relationships with Magdalene? Mary Magdalene. And I know where, where she's getting all of this from. So I, I just said, okay, well, that's a, that's a, but it's not a brief response here. And, and so just let me give you this 30 second elevator speech. It all comes down to 
what is your view of who Jesus was and what he said he was? In church, we call that Christology. It's the doctrine of Christ. I said, if you believe Jesus was just a good man, hey, I could see how that fits into your narrative. However, the church doesn't affirm that only. We affirm that he was 100% man and 100% God. Therefore, we call that that's the mystery of the hypostatic union of Christ, his humanity and his divinity. I said, and because of that affirmation, which is a mystery, I can't explain that to you unless you want me to talk about this for the rest of this flight, and I still don't have enough time to unpack it. I said, uh, because of that, we believe that he was perfect and sin. I just heard this, oh. <laughs> My head is spinning now. I think I need to process this. Well, if you want something else to process, read the book of Colossians. It's right there. He says, thank you so much. Uh, I never thought about that. Young people, I hope you hear this loud and clear. Don't hear it as a guy who has the privilege of standing here before you. I hope you, you would view me as a big brother to you. And, and to some of you who are older than me, I hope you would view me as a little brother. My dad passed away several years ago. I need more dads. I lost my older brother two years ago with somebody here being my older brother for me. My sister lives about four hours away. Would somebody be my sister? And a little sister too. I need little sisters. I need family. You're my family. Family. And you know what? At the title, pastor. Okay, big deal. I get to stand before you and teach and talk and wrestle with the text that I'm wrestling. But here at the end of the day is something I want to give you. If you find yourself struggling, here's, and I'm going to close with this easier if you want to pass. I'm going to close with this. Our, our elders, please stand. I want you to take a look at these guys here. We're not perfect. But I, after, after nearing seven months of being here, I can tell you and I can, I can give you my personal affirmation about these guys. They love Jesus. They love Jesus. Committed to, 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 to the word of God. And so, this morning, young person or adult, or if you are struggling, please reach out to one of us. Let us know how we can help you and serve you and equip you and empower you and provide resources for you. Because we know how difficult life is. And we don't know everything. But I'll tell you one thing. They're not elders just to be called elders. I once had this, this older guy say, you can't teach me nothing about marriage. You're too young. I said, I am. Thank you. And I wear that proudly. However, in biblical and scriptural authority and church ecclesiology, I'm what's called an elder. And I'm a lot older than you when it comes to the Word of God. 
So I might not be ex as experienced as you, which I don't think all the experience is necessarily good, but I am very knowledgeable about God, and these men are also. Thank you, guys. Can we give them an applause? And second, and secondly, friends, hear me loud and clear. Yes, I'm about studying the Word of God. I'm about reading it and memorizing it and reciting it and applying it. But let me tell you, nothing is possible without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not by power, it's not by might, but it is by the Spirit of the Lord. And He lives inside of us. So pray with me. Father, this morning, thank you. Sorry we extended our time together, and that's okay. Lord, I would pray that um, even with everything that's still left unpacked in this text, you would take it for your glory, for your honor. That the name of Jesus would be lifted up on high. That if there would be somebody here this morning that would just say, I need help. Father, let us rally around that person and let us provide wisdom, biblical truth, guidance, mentorship, prayer. But at the end of the day, Lord, would you put it in the heart of that person who is struggling, perhaps with sexual abuse? Maybe they've been raped. I don't know what it is, but I would pray, Father, that they would not be stigmatized, nor would they listen to that voice of shame, but that they would listen to the voice of restoration in the power and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Perhaps it might be somebody who has lived with emotional abuse or even psychological abuse or financial, whatever abuse it is, Father. We would pray, Lord, have your way in our lives. And if somebody would be here or online that would say, I would love to confess the name of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, would you just do so now by faith to the praise of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.